Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with myself, Matt, and my brother, Todd. Hello. Today, we are talking about the extremely fun and exciting 1985 Western adventure film, Silverado, which a few weeks ago, I highly recommended as a gateway Western to try out, and Todd has basically done that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's exactly, it's, it's, it's a direct result of that episode and more or less your love for this movie for the last 30-odd years. Um, this is a movie where technically if you were to do this podcast alone, Matt, uh, if you do this podcast alone in the exact same format, you know, movies that were ubiquitous to HBO, constantly on, and it was a movie that you kind of fell in love with and watched basically every time it was on, but we're trying to convince me to watch it. This very well might be that movie, or at least it certainly was. This is a prime example of that movie. Cause I remember you watching this movie a lot. I remember it being on HBO a lot. I remember the, the clip on, you know, the HBO um, uh, commercials, you know, when they were, you know, in between movies or whatever with the, I don't want to kill you and you don't want to be dead. Um, it's, it's just a great line. It's a total great line. And I guess I forgot it came from this movie. Um, I forgot how amazing uh, Jeff Goldblum looks and his dandy getup as slick uh, is. Like I think I've seen this movie maybe once or twice um, with you. I, I, you know, I believe you had the VHS. I'm almost certain you did, and I probably watched it then. I probably watched it once on HBO. And I meant, as I mentioned before in the uh, Young Guns episode, it must have been like I'm not a huge Western guy. Uh, I, you know, I'm not. I've I've never followed them that closely, but there are a handful I enjoyed. And this is a movie I probably should have watched a long time ago because, damn, is it, if it is not tremendous fun. I, I loved every second of this movie. And I would say it's probably the official TV movie rewind position that this is easily and unequivocally the best thing that Larry Kasdan is, and we can call him Larry, um, has ever been involved in. Well, I don't know. Some people might think, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark and yeah. other Lucasfilm efforts. Yeah. What, what, like, you can tell me, like, um, Empire Strikes Back or something? I mean, come on. Um, the boomers might chick pick something like uh, The Big Chill. That wouldn't be my pick by any means, but... I mean, I guess he's done other things, but... That was kind of his claim to fame, The Big Chill. I guess he's done other things. I guess he's done other things, but not... Yes. Um, I, but he's else... not a recognized name other than, you know, most of his screenplays. You'd certainly recognize what he was involved in, yeah, maybe yes. more than you recognize the name. Exactly. It's one of those things where, yeah, you're looking through it and you're just like, wow. Um, it just, yeah, it just goes on and on. And this is something he both wrote and directed with one of his favorite actors, apparently Kevin Klein, because he's in like full on half or more of everything Lawrence Kasdan has done. Somehow well, not in Raiders of the Lost Ark, but in basically just everything else after this movie, at least. But but not only that, you can also kind of give Lawrence Kasdan credit for discovering Kevin Costner. Yes, and and that's one of the secret, uh, not secret, what am I talking about? That That's one of the bonus, I guess, joys of this movie, is you get to see Kevin Costner before Dances with Wolves. And I, I like Kevin Costner, right? I think he's a good actor, and, and uh, you know, uh, Dances with Wolves is fine, but um, there's there are different there are different like eras of Kevin Costner. There's the Kevin Costner where he gets to like act um, and and not just be kind of the same sort of dour, very serious guy forever. Uh, and in this movie, like he's not he's he's not Kevin Costner. He's just, he's the he's the actor, and he's really fun as like a pseudo Billy the Kid kind of like almost tropey sort of western because of Billy the Kid type. Um, 
but uh, he's really fun in this movie. <laughs> he's really fun from the go. Like when he's kind of climbing. I mean, maybe we'll get to it when we go through the synopsis. But yeah, he's he you know he brings a um he, he brings a different level to the, every every single character in this movie. And would you call it an an ensemble cast? I mean, I would. It's definitely an ensemble cast, even beyond our four main characters. Yeah, yeah. Like it just keeps going. They just keep introducing characters, and it's great. And, and every single one of them is awesome. Honestly, um, just not a single any... character fails in this movie. Not a single character brings it down. Everybody like adds something really fun to this movie, really cool to this movie. And just about everybody in this movie is known in something else as well. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, Every you know everybody in this movie from something else. Total, totally. And um, uh, like, I guess I, I, I guess you know, I, again, I, part of I guess what kept me away from it for for long enough was the fact that it was a western, and I'm not a and I'm not a huge fa- follower of westerns. But you know what? You know, between Young Guns and Tombstone and Magnificent Seven, for sure, just as three examples, like I, I, ne- I guess I never really, I guess I always underestimated how much I enjoyed a good ensemble movie, especially when it came to a war movie or a western movie. So, so I should have seen this movie or followed it more closely or had it in my collection ages ago, but I found it. I forget where I was, but I, I found it, and um, you know, I, I picked it up, and um, I had suggested it for this week because it, you know, I figured it was a good reason to finally get around to watching it because I did expect to like it the more I read about it, and specifically the episode you did on westerns, um, um, hearing you talk about it again because I had kind of forgotten about it. Like, I, I guess I wouldn't call this a forgotten movie. Maybe, maybe I'm underestimating that, but like, I don't really hear people talk about this movie that much, and I feel after watching it, I feel like they should. Is it because it's a Western, maybe? More than likely, because again, this movie, this was a Western that came out in the mid 80s when Westerns were not popular at all. You know, maybe, you know, Clint Eastwood would do one, you know, like he did Pale Rider and, and, um, Jeez, did he even do another Western in the 80s? I'm trying to I was going to say, because Unforgiven's quite a while later, isn't it? And, but, but the other thing about this is even the Westerns that were coming out in the 80s were tended to be more of a dark and somber, gritty Western. This Western brings back that fun feeling of a, of a more John Wayne right. uh, 1950s. This is a Hollywood Western. Totally, there's yeah. No, there's this really is your Steve no... McQueen, Yul Brenner, Charles Bronson. Yes. Yeah. The, there's no Euro Western, spaghetti Western, grim grittiness to this movie. No, no, it's it's fantastic. It, it is a fantastic movie. This is another. Um, again, if you if you need a reason to watch a Western, because maybe you don't you know watch very many of them, um, or don't watch them at all, here's a damn good example of one because everybody's fantastic. And, and like it's I fa- said, other than. Cast. As I said in the, the previous podcast, other than a train sequence, there isn't any Western cliche that isn't in this movie. Or I oh, should no. say trope. Yeah, it's no. like they, they fit everything in to keep the movie, you know. And it's so much happens before they even reach the titular Silverado. It it gives you right, it gives you everything you could want in a Western. Right. It gives you pretty much it gives you everything you could want in a Western and it does it well. Like we've said, or at least I have. I I mean, I think you have as well. Like I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't mind tropes. I don't mind a movie being intensely tropey and that and and familiar. Like I'm probably more likely to watch it. Um, But, you know, especially you can do it right. Like there's nothing wrong with tropes. Like I still will watch a zombie movie. I will still absolutely watch a zombie. If you give me exactly what I'm looking for or a vampire movie, like if you give me exactly what I'm looking for call it fan service call me basic i don't care but this movie and you know i i don't want to damn it with that faint praise especially since i'm not exactly a western connoisseur but yeah this movie was a hell of a lot of fun i'm totally glad i own it um i'm glad i suggested it 
Um, probably wouldn't have watched it if not for this podcast. So take that for, uh, for what it's worth. I, I enjoyed it a great deal. Uh, this movie really kicks off with the bang. Yeah, no, it's extremely well paced, especially for a Western. It's, it's, it's like the pacing is incredible. It starts immediately. There's this isolated little cabin that looks like it's a um, cattleman shack that, you know, many, many, many open ranges in the West would have these shacks scattered about for the, you know, the cowboys who were or ranch hands who had to be way out in the pastures would have a place to get out of the weather and to cook and to sleep. And it starts off with this isolated little, little shack and uh, Scott Glenn as Emmett is sleeping when he's awakened by three guys trying to kill him. Guy charges through the door, bang, he's getting shot at by a guy who's up on the roof and he's being shot at. And of course he takes him out all in spectacular fashion. Yeah, Scott Glenn's getting shot at, what, less than a minute into the movie? Yeah, before the the, the credit even comes on, because he, right. he has the little gunfight where he kills off the three his three attackers, and then he opens the door, and you get this great panoramic shot of, you know, Western scenery, and Silverado comes up on the screen. Might, might be this... Be, might this be the quickest gunfight in Western cinema history? If not, maybe cinema history, but certainly Western cinema history? I can think of a couple of spaghetti Westerns that open with gunfights. Okay. Um, so we were introduced to Scott Glenn and, you know, we, we he's he's riding off to somewhere. There's There's no dialogue for most of the movie, but we're getting the credits and the opening theme anyways. And you see, we, he's going cross country. He makes camp and travels, and you can tell by the the montage that he's traveling far because he's going through snowy plains. He's going through desert, and then as he's traveling through the desert, he comes across this guy just lying in the middle of the desert in his uh, well, western underwear. They're, they're long, long johns, johns, I guess. Yeah, the red kind of classic red western, you know, flap on the back just lying there in the desert and he gets off his horse and pours some water into his mouth and we're, we're introduced to Kevin Klein as Payton. P-A-D-E-N. Yes. He gives him something to drink and he kind of wakes up and, and it is very scratchy parched throat says, it's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> the dialogue is amazing in this movie. And Scott Glenn, um, Scott Glenn has a great line um, in a little bit. Um and when uh you know he's telling the story about like how he got shot at or whatever and um he's just like well i had to get up anyway yes yes they basically introduce each other explain and then scott um robert klein explains that he was just riding along and four other fellows came along and they were riding together talking joking they got out in the middle of the desert and all of a sudden the four of the guys were all pointing their guns at him they stole his horse, his clothes, everything, left him with nothing but his long johns, and left him to die in the desert. So, you know, Scott Glenn says, or I should say Emmett, I should try to keep to their character's name. But yeah, it's Kevin so, Klein, by the way. So, where? well, no, Scott Glenn is the one who says, so where are you going? No, I'm just saying um, Payton's name, uh, Payton is Kevin Klein, not Robert. Oh, sorry, it's, yes, Kevin Klein, yeah. not Robert Klein. Kevin Klein says... Um, well, Payton. where's the Pinto going? Yeah, you know, and, and because uh, He's Emmett stranded. has taken Emmett has taken one of the horses from his assassins as a spell horse, so they join in together and they ride off to this. The next scene is them arriving in a cavalry outpost. 
and poor uh, Payton is still in his long johns, not wearing anything else. Since uh, Emmett's like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get our horses, you know, fed and grained. Gives gives Payton some money to get some clothes and other supplies, and rides off. So Payton's standing there, and again, his long johns, and the man is covered head to toe in clothing. They may it may be underwear, but of course everybody's looking at him. And this one woman with her daughter is absolutely appalled right. at this man. In his he is fully underwear. clothed, yeah. like he is he, technically he's, head to toe. He's completely covered, and yeah. you know. And that's when Peyton sees his horse and the right. man who stole it from him. So he goes in, and again, right in, bam, we're into another great scene where he goes running into a nearby store, and he he's he yes grabs the gun out of the case, and the the shop clerk is like, "Excuse me, as soon as I'm done helping this lady, I'll come over here and help you." And of course, he's in a hurry. He's like, "No, no, no, I'll take this one." puts puts a, a coin down on the on right, the like a dollar or something to pay for it. Yeah, we don't know how much it was. We know it's under twenty dollars. Sure. The yeah. guy says the gun is twenty dollars. And he's in a hurry. He's like, So so how much to rent it? The guns are for sale. <laughs> what can I get for this? And you see him hand paid in this gun where the, the cylinder's falling out and you know, he's putting right. it together <laughs> and he goes running out into the street and tries to get the gun loaded before the horse thief gets away. And that's when and a little girl yells, Mom, look! And the guy spots Peyton, who's easy enough to spot. Right. Runs at him, tries to kill Peyton, but Peyton's able to get the fatal shot off and get his horse back. <laughs> and a couple of things, a couple of things that we've learned, or one of the things we've learned as well, um, uh, yeah, I, I, Peyton lost his horse, and the other thing he was really upset about, in fact, most upset about losing, was his hat, his fancy hat with the silver band. Well, he actually, even like, yeah, but you're right. He does mention like how much he missed his. Oh, horse. he missed the bay. That's right. Yeah, the bay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and, but he also and then how much he missed his hat. Yeah. You see how much the horse missed him. Sure. Because as the 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 um top dog at the cavalry post comes out to settle, you know, what's going on because there's just been a gunfight. You know, one of the, the cavalry says, well, this man says that man stole his horse. And he says, and I suppose you have proof of that. And meanwhile, Peyton's basically making it out with the horse. Right, right. And he goes, can't you see this horse loves me? Right. And the, the cavalry sergeant, I think... It, a really cute scene, actually. He's actually got us. I had a woman that did that to me, didn't make her my wife. Right. He says, well, I got my name scratched under that saddle. And it's like, well, what would your name be? And now we're introduced to the great Brian Dennehy. Oh, yeah. Who yeah. steps out of the crowd and says, Payton, P-A-D-E-N. And the cavalry sergeant turns and obviously knows who Brian Dennehy is. Yep. Brian Dennehy plays Cobb. And he says, you know this man, Cobb? I surely do. Absolutely made for that outfit in this movie. Yeah. You know, so once they've settled, like, okay, so this was Payton's horse, they're fine. All right. It was a justified shooting. Everybody can go about their business. And then he turns to Payton and gets some clothes on. Which which tells you about what at least our con our, our concept uh, of the West, um, even in terms of Hollywood, was that you know basically, hey, yeah, all right, it was a it was a justified shooting. That's it. Everybody go home. You know, we're, we're cool. But also dialing back a bit to when he's in the gun store trying to get the gun. I, 
you, he's clearly in a hurry to buy this gun and the gun store owner is like hold on now hold on <laughs> and being all sarcastic about it where he's like obviously he's in a hurry to buy this gun and the, and the owner's just like fine with it <laughs> Man is only as long John's trying to buy a gun real quick has to hurry really up quickly. There. Like, in a, can I rent it? Like, that's not ominous, right? <laughs> I just need it for a second. Like, that doesn't tell you anything. I just love that. I just love that. True story. I forget the the name of the people involved, but a true story from the old west involved a guy who tried to ambush another guy and shot at him in a saloon, but missed, and then he ran away. The next day, the guy who was shot at shoots the guy who shot at him the day before and kills him. And it was decided to, it was a justified shooting because the other guy shot first. Sure. Yeah. I could see that. I could see the old West logic in that. So now we're introduced to Brian Dennehy and we get a little bit into who Peyton is. You know, it's like, oh, you've been a long time. Like, yeah, you could see Peyton's apprehensive about his reunion with Cobb. Yes. And Cobb even has a little joke at his expense. I, I see you're, you're, um, see so you're doing well. <laughs> He's standing <laughs> there in his underwear. And Brian Dennehy helps him, he, you know, gives him $13 to buy new clothes and a new hat and, you know, they're talking about kind of, he says, uh, Cobb, Brian Dennehy tells, tells like, you know, I'm, I'm putting a bunch of men together. You know, uh, you, you interested? I'm looking for a good man. And Peyton, again, very apprehensive, says, I don't do that anymore. And Dennehy kind of laughs it off and like, come on, I want to show you something. And now we're introduced to Jeff Fahey as Tyree. Oh, yeah. Who spends the creepier man as there ever was, uh, and I mean spends... that in a good way, like and and not not Jeff Fahey specifically, but he's just so ominous. He's immediately has ominous. the entire glower on his face oh, yeah. the entire time. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. he's just ready to kill anybody for any reason at any point. Every every single person in this movie, and it's a large cast, has like a very distinct but absolutely perfect old west look. And uh, Tyree is no exception. And Plus, he just brings their, that amazing glower. You're absolutely right. They play their characters full on. Nobody 100%. phones in anything. Nope. 100%. Everybody's amazing. And I should mention that the first, one of the first things Cobb says to Peyton is, where's the dog? And then when we're introduced to Tyree, who's obviously just being let out of prison because they're taking the shackles off when we get there. And Cobb walks up, hey, Tyree, look who's here. And Tyree gives Peyton a, well, his I'm going to kill you look. Which is his look to the entire movie. Pretty yeah. much, if looks could kill. Right. Jumps on his horse and rides past Peyton and looks down next to Peyton and says, he himself says, where's the dog? And then, you know, as as Brian Dennehy and, and Jeff Fahey ride off, you know, Cobb even reminds him, don't forget, you owe me $13, and they ride off. So Peyton and Emmett, Scott Glenn, are off again, and they're heading to Turley, because as Scott Glenn has explained to Kevin Klein, I'm meeting the guy in Turley, and then we're heading to Silverado to say goodbye to somebody, and then we're off to California after that. 
So they ride into Charlie, and now who do we meet as they arrive in Charlie? One of our favorites, Brian James as Hobart, who for some reason is not credited in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking for his name in the credits, and I didn't see them. And he plays there a are... decent role. He's got several lines. Like, he's not in the yeah. whole movie. He doesn't play a prominent part, but he plays a notable one. I got to assume it's a mistake, because there's people who are in the movie even a little bit less than him who are credited. Right, right. right. Like, he's, he's yeah. No, he plays, a, again, he's not necessarily a central figure, but a significant one. He's got several lines. And he appears in at least three separate scenes. Right. You know, uh, some of these people are in and out of the movie in their one scene. Right, right. So as uh, Emmett and and Peyton write in, uh, Brian James, as uh, he's basically running a wagon train of settlers, he comes up to the two of them. Baxter, Holly, where yeah. you been? You were supposed to be here at dawn. I got all my people saddled up and ready to go over there off to Silverado. This is a late start. It's a bad start. Emmett answers, well, it is a bad start because I ain't Baxter and he ain't Holly. <laughs> and Hobart, again, another great line, Hobart goes, you yeah. ain't Baxter? My name's Emmett. And then he turns to Payton, you ain't Baxter either? And Payton's answer, no, I'm not Holly. Yeah, excellent punchy dialogue in this movie. It's the the di- yeah. This is such a this is such a solidly fun movie in every way. It's a very tight, excellent movie. And of course, just at that point, the real Baxter and Holly show up, and you know, they're there to take these settlers off to just outside Silverado to you know, homestead. Yep. So you know, brief scene with them, and they pay the guys, and they're all off, and. Payton and Emmett go into the local inn to have a meal. Mm-hmm. And while they're sitting there eating, minding on a, their own business, we get to meet one of the other main stars of this movie. Yep. Danny Glover as Malachi Jones Johnson. Malachi Johnson, yep. Malachi Johnson walks in. I didn't, yeah, I guess I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mal, I mean, they always call him Mal, but yeah. Malachi um, is his full name. Walks in, you know, hits the thing for service, and he's ignored. Yeah. He goes over to the other counter, and the woman very hostily says, well, what do you want? He goes, well, I ain't slept in a bed or had a drink of whiskey in 10 days. I'd like to check in and have a whiskey. And he puts money down on the counter, the counter to buy a bottle. She reluctantly rings him up, and that's when the proprietor, the owner of the place comes in and he's all upset because, oh my God, there's a black man in my establishment. Right. And he says, like, I don't serve your kind here. Get out. And of course, three other guys sitting at a nearby table, obviously looking for an excuse to beat up a black guy themselves, instantly right. get themselves up to involved in the situation. There's a ruckus. Of course, Danny Glover's handles himself perfectly. He takes on all four guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's busts up the furniture, and that's when another great actor, John Cleese, enters as Sheriff Langston. Yes. What's all this then? Yes, yes. A a not not a charming, but not necessarily likable, but not exactly hateable man. Um, He's understandable in a way. Not not exactly interested in justice, but more so peace. In his own exactly, he's interested in control. Justice isn't as important is irrelevant, as, yeah. is irrelevant as long as he keeps peace in the community. 
So, of course, the proprietor named Carter immediately says, oh, he came in here, started busting up the place, and, you know, oh, got all these damages. And that's when, for the first time, Payton and Emmett speak up and say, that ain't true, Sheriff. These other guys started the ruckus. And Sheriff Langston turns to Malachi and says, are these two friends of yours? And he, of course, shakes and says, no, never met them before. I just rode into town. And he, that's when Langston says, well, knowing Carter as I do, and we should also say that Carter referred to Mal with the N-word, and Langston immediately responds, I don't like that word, Carter. Right. Right, he knows Carter's an asshole. He says, knowing what I do about Carter, I'm going to let you go without paying the damages, but you need to get out of here. Right. Out of his and, jurisdiction, actually. Well, that's when Mal says, yeah, like, so is come. there a is there a place in town that takes my kind? And he says, no, you misunderstand me. I want you all the way out of my jurisdiction. You know, I can't have this type of thing going on. It's rough on the town and it's rough on the furniture. So just, just head on out of town and I'm not going to hold you accountable for any charges. And of course, Mal just finally says, that ain't right. He says, and, and Lisa says, it doesn't matter what's right. I'm hired to keep the peace in this town you being in this town is going to cause a problem. We right. need to go. Right. Like, cause I mean, Langston's thinking riots. He's yeah. Well, he's thinking somebody else is going to stop beating up this guy. Well, plus, and, yeah. Plus the guys and, who were in there before aren't just going to forget. Right. And yeah. let's be fair. And he's they probably not live doing there. it. He's not doing it for Mal's own good. He's doing it for the town's oh, totally. good and the right. sake of, you know, he's not, he's not being altru- altruistic yet. Absolutely not. No, he doesn't care anything so, about Mal. He just doesn't want, he doesn't want like riots. He doesn't want unrest. He doesn't want to have a deal with it. Yeah. Mal swallows his pride, grabs his gear, and just before he exits, he stops. Yep. Grabs the drinks he poured, poured for himself, sips it, appreciates it, puts it down, and marches on. Yeah. And for the record, he paid for it. Like she put it in the thing. Yeah, he actually paid for a whole yep. bottle, so he had actually some change coming to him. So True. Carter, Carter did get some money for his damages. Mm-hmm. And then when even Carter says, well, who's going to pay for all this, all, all my busted up stuff? Langston's like, don't push your luck, Carter. Yep. Carter sits himself down at the table and says, so, you gentlemen, are you here for the hanging? And they're like, no, we're, we're, we're just in town to meet a guy and I'm going to move on. And that's when again Langston kind of explains himself like you might have I might have guessed I'm not from these parts, but the people of Turley have taken a liking to me because I do my job, which is to keep the peace. And as we said, he'll he's gonna keep the peace whether it's justified or not. Right. And he goes, and if you're looking for somebody in my town, you come ask me. Which is of course when Emmett says, All right, well, he's a younger guy, about my height, full of juice. Where's a fancy two gun rig and two gun rig and Langston pauses, scratches his. I know where that man is. Yeah. Takes him to the jailhouse. Yeah. If you hadn't figured out where this is going already. Yeah. Where we meet Kevin Costner as Jake and Kevin Costner as Jake. It's fantastic. This was really one of his first big things. He was supposed to be in the previous Lawrence Kasdan movie, The Big Chill. Right. His scene was cut. He played the dead body in the casket. And, uh, you know, and how would you describe Jake? Because he's not an idiot. No, no. He, I, would, I mean, 
to me, I, I assume he's, he's taking inspiration from Billy the Kid. Um, he's not quite as um, manic or maybe psychotic, but he's certainly like he's. Um, He's no, he's not. He's not. He, he's not. All, he's not dumb, but he's definitely got like um, maybe a death wish that he doesn't realize he has. I, I don't know. But he's brash. I guess that's he's brash, but he's him. not malicious. No, not at all. No, he's actually he, a really nice guy. Like he's, he's not remotely psychotic. He's not going right. to screw with you. He doesn't start fights, but he gets into trouble. <laughs> but he's never looking for trouble. No, no, and he always because, gets into it. Again, he's not stupid, but he's not the brightest crayon on the box either. No, no, but he's, it's the, th the thing is, he's an attractive guy, full of life, obviously a very good fighter, very masculine, so I imagine he's popular with lots of ladies who aren't necessarily free, but and, and he gets into trouble an awful lot. He also clearly doesn't have all his faculties. I mean, he's definitely, yeah, I mean, he's, he's de I, I don't know... I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I don't know. I don't know. He's definitely, again, he's certainly got a death wish. He's definitely got some sort of adrenaline rush that's probably going to get him killed someday. The Western term would be touched in the head. But again, he's not stupid. No. But he's like, not a normal adult. Because, like, as right in this first scene, he's he's climbing up on the cell and was like, well, I, I don't. Emmett asks him, well, what are you doing here? It's like, well, this is a strange town, Emmett. I, I was just, all I did was kiss a girl. And, and this other guy, well, well, he didn't like it. So we had some words and, you know, uh, he, he drew a gun on me. So I had to shoot him. And he's like, oh, is that the guy you killed? No, no, I just winged him. It was on account of this, this other guy. See, I, 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 guess, I guess I'm naive, but I just figured he was being coy. <laughs> no, no. I mean, if, as you watch, I just movie, thought he was being trying to be coy and charming and like kind of like sleaze his way out of it. But I, I, I see where you're coming from. You, you might be right. I, I didn't really see it that way. Now, um, now I see where you're coming from. You know, that's where he found out another guy drew on him and he killed this guy, and that's why he's in there and 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 set up to be hanged. Right. And he's like, "Well, can't you help me, Emmett? Can't can't you do something?" And um. Emmett's like, well, gee, you know, the law, you know what it did to me. And we will find out later that Emmett, well, actually, we found out a little earlier that Emmett had just done five years in prison for killing a guy. So right. he says, you know, um, you know, blind Pete always said you'd hang. I guess tomorrow at dawn, he'll be proved right. And that's when Langston cuts in 10 o'clock. Yeah. What? The hangings at 10 o'clock. Oh, sorry. I always thought these things were done at dawn logical and assumption i mean i did too you see a little bit on cautious face and i'll tell you it was a couple of times i watched this movie because it's not it's not right direct out he gives the audience credit like if you pay attention you get that right there right in front of the sheriff emmett has given jake the plan for the breakout right and as he leaves with with kevin um Kevin Klein is like, uh, I'm going to have to break him out of there. And Kevin <laughs> Klein's like, I've had some experience of that. I'm, you're going to have to cut me out. I can't be involved in that. And he's like, I understand, but he's my brother. And we're going to go to Silverado to say bye to our sister before we head off to California. And I can't show up with a story like this. Right. And, and Klein understands. He says, all right, but uh, I guess this is it. And I'll buy you a drink. And then it's like, you ain't got any money. You can buy me a drink. Yeah. And they head into a saloon as as Kevin Klein. 
Yes, Kevin Klein. I got it right this time. Yeah, yeah, yep. Kevin Klein is like a good old smuggler saloon is my happy place. And that just as they get in there, that's when Kevin Klein sees a man wearing his hat. Yep. The other thing he missed most, his yes. head spent three years training that hat. Yep. Nice and black with a pretty silver brand around it. And he eyes the guy at the table and says, you're wearing my hat. And the guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about, mister. And of course he does. And you can tell he's getting ready to draw sure. his gun. And that's what Kevin Klein, uh, Kevin Klein says. I really hope your fingers aren't tickling my ivory handled Colts. <laughs> guy draws, Payton kills him. Instant next scene, he's being thrown in jail. Right. And he's like, you guys are making a big mistake. The other guy shot first. And Kevin Costner's like, that's yeah. what I told him. Yeah. This scene's fun. This scene's fun. You get you get more Coster in this scene, which is a lot of fun. So they're stuck in the jail together, and Payton keeps explaining, like, no, it was a justified shooting. Like, yeah, I know. This is yeah. what they got me in jail for. It's it's not going to matter. You know, they don't care. It's about keep keeping the peace. Right. And if a stranger comes into town and shoots somebody up, they're going to hang them so that the next stranger doesn't do that when they come into town. Right. They know they mean business. Was doesn't matter that it was a justified yep. shooting. So that's when, you know, Kevin Clark. Yeah, like Jake's like, right. <laughs> yeah. Jake's like, you see Jake picking the lock with his belt buckle. And he says, old blind Pete. Stinky. You know, you sneaky. No, blind Pete. Was it blind? I thought it was. Yeah. I thought it was like Stinky Pete. But okay. Blind Pete used to do this just by touch, and he keeps sounding like, you know, aren't you coming with Jake and me? We're escaping. And like I said, so the code was, Blind Pete always said you'd hang tomorrow at dawn. He'd be proved right. So the code was obviously Blind Pete means you break yourself out of the cell and meet me outside at dawn. Right. So. He and uh, Payton and Jake work together to bust out of the jail. I won't get much more into that, but they get out of the jail nice and quiet and sneak outside. And meanwhile, Emmett has created a distraction. He has burned down the gallows yep. and a little kid has run to the Langston. And this is what I'm amused about the scene is it shows at the sheriff's office. Um, Langston and his deputy are sitting there. And there's a chessboard between them. And the deputy's got this very intense look on his face, like he's thinking. Langston makes his move, pauses, and then turns the chessboard around because he's playing himself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, Little boy comes running up. Uh, come quick, come quick. And Sheriff Langston goes out, and that's the distraction. Now, Emmett's coming around with the horses while... Jake and and Peyton are standing out on the street trying to be quiet. When a guy comes out, he must have been watching. Yeah. Must have been alerted to something because he comes out with a rifle. And this is where we see how good Costner is with his guns. Because right. he doesn't he doesn't shoot the guy. The guy is up a set of staircase and he shoots the steps as the guy, you know, forcing the guy back up the stairs and out of the way. And they make their escape from town. There's some shooting, but the the our heroes make sure they're only shooting to keep people you know suppressive fire right keep them ducked down so we can get away we don't right. want to need more we yeah we're not here to kill anybody you know they're you know the sheriff as much as we disagree with them he's doing his job let's get the hell and they ride out of town 
we get a posse chase. Yes. Langston and his men chasing them down, and as they're... So we've had saloon fights, jailbreaks, shootouts, um, you know, poker game... <laughs> poker game um, um, shootouts like it's 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 hitting it's checking all the boxes and now as the posse escape just as they're running past these rocks the the posse finds themselves under fire by a sharpshooter and yep. at first one of the deputies like well he ain't hitting anything and that's when langston shows that he's a smart cookie and says you idiot he said everything he's aimed at he's obviously not true he doesn't say this Right. But Langston realizes this guy isn't trying to kill us. He's just trying to keep us from continuing the chase. Right. And he shoots off and the guy says, well, they won't be out of our jurisdiction for another. And Langston's hat gets shut off his head. And he's like, today my jurisdiction ends right here. Right. He turns around because the message is clear. Yeah. Let it go. Let it go. Right. Let it Let go it... or I'll give you a war you won't believe. Langston, oh, yeah, wait, Langston. If nothing else is, um, that's he's a pragmatic. different Brian Dennehy movie. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. So Langston's like, you know what? You know, I, we kind of knew. You know, Langston's kind of given like, I know these guys aren't criminals or whatever, and they ain't coming back to Charlie. We've done our job. They're gone. I'm still keeping the peace in the town, and he rides off. Right. And that's when we find out that the the, the sharpshooter was Malachi covering them. So what now we've we... now we've seen that basically. So so far, like every main character is an accomplished gunfighter, one way or the other. Um, every single one of them know certainly knows their way around a gun. Um, Peyton, yes. Emmett, uh, his brother Jake, and now Mal. Like we saw Mal handle himself in the saloon earlier, but now we know as well that he you know they're all accomplished gunfighters. Yes, we know especially Mal is a dead shot with a rifle. Yes. So now let me pose this question to you because this is just, you know, it's, it doesn't really matter because the movie's fast paced. It's all fun. Do you think Emmett sought out Mal during the intervening hours between the escape and says, Hey, can you help me? You know, I will, obviously I know you can't get back into town, but can you set up to, you know, cover us as we escape? Or do you think it was just a coincidence and Mal saw what was going on and was like, well, you know what? Here's my chance to get back at these guys who ran me out of town. Huh. I mean, I've wondered that myself. I guess until Did... you posited the possibility, I, I just assumed that they ran into him along the way and he, and he recognized them from afar and was like, yeah, I'll help him out. Um, but you, you make a good point. And there's, absolute, there's absolutely nothing in the movie to suggest that Emmett has done that. I'm yeah. just, you know, I like that. I've seen it. I've seen it enough. It's one of those things that I wonder. No, I, I definitely like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess again, until you just posited the, that possibility, I just assumed that they ran into him um, by chance. But um, that's a good point. Maybe he set it up ahead of time. Because so, I knew exactly where to be, like in a desert. I mean, right. granted, it was and along it, a road, but it even seems like Emmett paused there for a second to assess the situation, too. Right. So. Right. It's a good question. I, um, now, now that you mention it, I think yeah, maybe he did set it up. So now our four heroes, and they will be our four heroes for the rest of the movie, even though they are not always together. Right. Come upon the wagon train. They've stopped in the middle of the Badlands. And Emmett's like, Hobart, what are you and your people doing here? And that's when we find out Baxter and Holly 
killed one of them and made off with the cash box. That and now we're on like Western sub adventure, like one, 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 four, a got another adventure on yeah. because as Hobart says, all our money was in that cash box. We can't make our stake when we get to Silverado without that cash box. And Mal is the first one to say, well, which way did they head? Mm -hmm. Well, they ran off. They, they went off South and Malachi says, all right, he's going to go get the box. Jake says, I'll go with you, Mal. And that's when uh, Emmett, who says like, no, 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 Jake, you know the way out of here. You lead the wagon train out of here. This is not a place for women and children. This is a bad area. Get the, get the, the, the train going to Silverado. And Emmett, and it's like me and Mal will go get the cash box. And uh, Payton says, well, deal me in too. And one of the rider one of the the wagon train homesteader says well uh, i'm not trusting you know these guys any more than we trusted we trusted those other two why should we trust these people to come back with the money Which and emmett says emmett says well if i don't come back you can keep my brother <laughs> yeah that's great another great line in this moment but it's also but, a fair point yes now we see who hasn't said a word uh rosanna arquette who is obviously the wife of the the guy who's going to go along too. And they make the point of saying, you know, if I had brought a woman that pretty into this land, I'd stay close. He says, never mind, I'm coming with you. Sure. So we know so where they, this is going. Yeah. As he go, puts on his red shirt. Yeah. They go riding off and they find the, the canyon hideout of the Baxter and Hobart and a bunch of other outlaws that are all in this, this, this can't box canyon celebrating the stealing of the cash box. And the leader of this band is played by James Gammon as Dawson. And he is my Whip Bissell Award winner. Most people are going to know James Gammon as the coach of Major manager, League, yeah. the, the coach manager of the Indians in, in, yes. in Major League. <clears throat> which is which is, was killing me because uh, when I saw I'm him sorry. on the... Cleveland Guardians. Cleveland Guardians now, correct. Um, I, I remember in Major League, I like because when I was watching it, and I, you know, I was texting you, and I'm like, "Oh man, I know this guy. I know this voice. Where do I know him from?" And it was killing me, killing me, killing me. I finally had to look it up, and I'm so depressed that I did because totally, should I, I love Major League. I should have totally known that was him. It, it kills me that I didn't. So, Emmett, it's actually Malachi who comes up with the plan. We find that out after that. Malachi comes up with the plan that Emmett is going to ride in with Payton. Slumped over, Payton will be slumped over the horses if he's been killed. Emmett and Payton ride full tilt into the into the canyon, and Emmett dismounts and runs and ducks for cover. Like, oh hey, uh, you're Dawson, right? Yeah, I'm this guy, uh, old man McGillicuddy. Uh, told me Whatever about this. It, yeah. Told me about this place. Uh, we had to ride out of Turley after we pulled the bank job, and the posse's hot on our tail. I hope you don't mind. And Dawson's like. Mind? You bring a posse to bat my best hideout and ask me if I mind? Fair point. Mr. Those names don't mean anything to me. You're about to die. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you don't believe me, ask those two guys. They saw me and my partner in Turley. And that's when Baxter and Polly said, yeah, we saw him in Turley, but we don't know anything about a bank job. Well, if you took the bank in Turley, where's the money? Uh, I'd get down right now if I were you. That posse could be up there. No money, huh? 
it's in my saddlebags. I ain't getting out in the open to get it. And that's when Mel and the other guy who's come along start opening fire down on the right. uh, on the, the outlaws. While all this has been going on, Payton has tied a rope around the, the cash box that they've come to retrieve and tied it to his horse and gone back to playing dead. That's when Emmett jumps up like, Hey, if we rush them, they won't stand a chance. We'll get the horses. And Emmett goes running off. And Malachi is trying to make it look real. So he's shooting right at, yes. at, at Emmett's feet. And Emmett gives this dirty look up to the thing. It's like, a great look. Yeah. A little close, aren't you guys? Right. He gives this total look like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. A little Meanwhile, too comfort. one of the outlaws is like, wow, he's a brave man. And Dawson cuts in with the great, great line. I think there's only a couple of guys up there, and this asshole's one of them. Nailed it. And that's when, you know, Emmett chases off their horses. He jumps on his horse. He and Payton go riding full out out of the thing under gunfire, bringing the cash box with them, and the bad guys can't give chase because they've lost their horses. So, you know, they made it. They got the cash box. They're happy. They're, you know, bringing up when the guy who's come along, the homesteader, misinterprets what they're doing and thinks they're going to steal the cash box and insults them. But he's actually taken out by the outlaw sniper who was moving around the hills up above him. Right. He's killed. The three of them all turn and kill the outlaw. And then they ride back to the wagon train with the money and the sad story to tell Rosanna Arquette. Hannah that her husband has now been killed. Sure. We finally reached Silverado. And I should yes. say finally because this movie has been like a you know action adventure all the way. Oh yeah. It's checked uh, a lot of boxes. Mal rides out before they ride into town because uh, as we find out, Mal has received a letter from his mother that the little farm his mom, dad, and sister have been uh, running outside of Silverado needs his help. He's been living, he's been in Chicago working in the slaughterhouses when the letter finally got to him and he was told that, okay, if I follow that notch, I'll find my family's farm. So he waves goodbye and he goes off and the other three head into town. Now, so so we've got we've got people taking over a farm. I'm just going to take my um, my western my uh, my western trope drinking game drink real quick. Go ahead. So Emmett and Jake immediately go to her, their sisters. She's married to. You may recognize them. You may not. Yeah. Imagine her, a fence in front of him. Imagine a fence in front of his lower face. It's Earl Hydman, who most people will know as the neighbor Wilson from the sitcom Home Improvement in the 90s. Well, you can see his face in this movie, folks. If you ever wanted to know what he looked like. The, he's the town um, land assayer. That will become important in the plot as well. And they meet their nephew, Augie, who's oh, 12, 13 years old, probably. Maybe yeah, it sounds younger. about right, yeah. You know, so they have their kind of little happy reunion and we get a little bit more exposition where we find out that Emmett has been in jail for killing old man McKendrick, who was the big cattle rancher. He killed McKendrick because McKendrick was about to kill his brother Jake. We don't know why he was about to kill his brother Jake, 
but he killed he killed McKendrick, had to do five years in prison, and ever since the son, Ethan McKendrick, has had it out for Emmett for killing his pa. Sure. Take a drink, because that's a trope. Yep. Go on. Go ahead. Meanwhile, Kevin Klein is paid and has gone into the Midnight Star, the big lovely saloon in Silverado. That's where we meet Linda Hunt. My my whip is the award winner. Well, do you know what Linda Hunt won the Academy Award for? I don't. She won the Academy Award for her role in The Year of Living Dangerously. Okay. Where she plays a Indonesian-Australian man. Oh, interesting. Who was caught up and killed during the... Um, one of the uprisings in Indonesia. Oh, interesting. She plays Stella, the Midnight yeah. Star herself. She's great in this. She's everybody's fantastic in this. Yeah, everybody is fantastic in like like no scene with her, no scene with her is but, wasted. She brings such a great presence to it. She's fantastic in this. She she uh, yeah she kind of steals the scene. And I think our listeners will know her best as the principal in Kindergarten Cop. Yes, and also um, I forget her character's name, but in one of the NCISs. I think it's NCIS. Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, 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 I don't. don't I don't watch. Oh, it's either an NCIS or a CSI. Yeah, good point. It's one of those. Um, Look her up. You'll know who she is as soon as you see her. The chemistry between her and Klein—it's great—is amazing, yeah. and it's like a platonic romantic relationship, right? Type of thing, right? Like they get each other, yeah. Oh, and that's what they says. He's like, "Wow, now this is what I call a saloon," and she's like, "That's great. That's what I call it too." And yeah, their says, dialogue no. is great together. He's like, no, you know, like this. This is where I really feel happy. A, a smelly saloon is my happy place. And she says, "Me too." What's wrong with us? And question. he's inquiring, like, you know, um, you wouldn't be looking to hire any help with the gambling, would you? And she goes, "Well, you see that guy playing with his hair? That's Kelly. He runs that side of things." And other, other than being a loudmouth, lying cheat, he's just the man I'd, I'd hire. Yeah. And that's when Kevin, uh, when client says, well, why why do you work with him? She, she goes, well, I don't own the place. The, the owner stuck me with them. Well, who's the owner? Here he comes now. And who walks in but Brian Dennehy? Yeah. And he is just, he, and he's got that great Brian Dennehy chuckle, like, as smile. he looks up, yeah. he gets big, broad smile. He's like, would you look at this? Two of my favorite people in the world talking to each other. Yeah. And he comes up all affable and big teddy bear-like. Oh. And he says, Peyton, what brings you to my saloon? You didn't come all the way here to pay me back that $13, did you? And he's like, uh, 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 luck. Calls Kelly over and says, Kelly, this is Peyton. Uh, Peyton, this is Stella. You know, This is one of my oldest living friends. I want you to give him a hundred dollars. I want you to open him a line of credit. Heck, he already owes the house thirteen dollars. Right. And then he sends Kelly off, and he comes around behind the bar, and he's like, "So, you know, did you change your mind about that job I offered you?" And that's when Payton's like, "You didn't tell me you owned a saloon." And again, big, big grin on Brian Hell Dennehy's face, like, "Oh, it's better than that." 
welcome to paradise, my friend. And he pulls away the lapel from his chest, and you see that Brian Dennehy is the sheriff of Silverado. Right. Um, Brian Dennehy uh, is amazing, obviously, in this. We, we talked about it a bit before, uh, Cobb. Like, and until this point, he's been super, 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 super nice. Like, too nice. Like, but really, genuinely seeming nice but you but he's always got this look on his face even when he's smiling to you and being really nice that you could just tell he'd just as soon kill you or at least do something awful or swindle you, something like you can just you can see it in his eyes how um um that you know there's an entirely different motive there but he's so good at just telling to your face like just he he he, he you know for this whole thing he's actually been fairly charming um, you're almost wondering, like, how bad of a guy is he really? Like, you can see he hangs around with bad people, but that's just the West, and maybe he's not so bad. But then you just get a look at his face, and you're just like, oh, yeah, there's this something this something there. But he acts so super nice to this point, compared to basically uh, anyone else in his gang. And Brian Dennett, he's just another one of those guys I always love to see in a movie. Sure. Just sure. enjoyed seeing him. Like, you knew there was, like, a certain seal of quality in, you know, when, when Brian Dennehy comes on the screen. 100%. So now I really want to pull back, because we've been really going into detail. I want to pull back now, because I really, really want people to see this movie. Sure. Because now we have set up for all what is going to happen. Payton is now working. So basically, um, do we get to the immortal uh, Jeff Goldblum yet? Well, that's what I was like. So okay, yeah, because like that's I mean, yeah. <laughs> like like Stella had said, Kelly, who ran the gambling, was a cheat and a jerk. And uh, Cobb Brian Dennehy offers Payton his job, and he tells Kelly like you know. I'm giving Peyton your job because we're tired of you skimming the profits. And Kelly's all like, whoa, you can't. He goes, never mind what I can and can't do. He punches Kelly in the stomach, throws him through the saloon doors. And that's when he turns to Peyton and says, like, so you're going to take the job? And Peyton's like, well, I can see you're an understanding boss. Right. And he's like, nothing like that would ever happen between the two of us. And that's when Kelly you tries almost to come, come in. He comes back in pulling a gun. Stella yells out, Kelly, don't he'll kill you, which Brian Dennehy does. And it's understandable. I mean, he was about to get shot. It wasn't self-defense. Yeah, totally. And and Stella, despite not having liked Kelly, is, of course, shocked and appalled at this death she's just witnessed. She goes running out there and is somehow is still devastated over the death of this man who was her partner. Sure. I mean, yeah, she knew him. And, she knew him daily, and it just happened, what, feet away? And Cobb kind of cuts into her a little bit by saying, thanks for the warning, Stella. Because her calling out to Kelly not to do it gave him the heads up he was about to be shot at. Right, he might be dead otherwise. That's when Jeff Goldblum arrives. He plays Kelvin Stanhope. He walks up and says, uh, Sheriff, I'm a gambler who'd like to run an honest, honest game in your town. Uh, who do I speak to about that? Hope it isn't this gentleman pointing right. down to the dead Kelly. And then he points to Payton and says, oh, there's your man. And uh, Scott Glenn, as Emmett, who was there witnessing the whole thing, was like, you used to be friends with this guy? Right. Because this is when we see that 
And 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 then he has a line to Stella saying, I never enjoyed killing a man. And you believe that. Yeah, no. It, like you I can said. tell he doesn't have compunction about killing. Right. It's not, he's not a kill mad dog, kill crazy person. Right. Like Tyree obviously is. Right. Like he's not a, he's not like, exactly. He's not a wild man. Yeah. He's not like, um, he's, he's not, yeah, exactly. He's not, he's not Tyree. He's not anything like that. It's, he's, he's an interesting dude. And what I should point out about Jeff Goldblum's performance in this movie, this is before he developed his little affectation of being all twitchy and right, um, right. And so, you know, he that didn't really come along until his portrayal of Ian Malkin, Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park, right, which was obviously one of his biggest things, and people seem to enjoy it. So it's an affectation he's taken with them, just like if you watch early Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken used normal speaking voice in his early roles. Totally, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know when Jack Nicholson became Jack Nicholson, but yeah, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, the conflict that will now happen is Ethan McKendrick is the powerful man in town, and he has it out for Emmett. He wants to kill Emmett. We find out he's the guy who sent those three men to kill him at the beginning of the movie. Oh, also, uh, Jeff Goldblum, real quick, is um, his his nickname. He goes by Slick, which when you see him, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that works. Well, I was waiting for you to point that out because he only mentions his actual name once in right. passing. Right. So yeah. That's why I kind of trotted out the Calvin. Stable. Yeah. Like when you see when you see his getup, which is fan, like if you're a uh, if you're a Jeff Goldblum fan and I am. And um, I mean, this isn't necessarily a Jeff Goldblum movie, but he spends significant time in it. Um, you get to see a Jeff Goldblum that you don't normally see. Um, you get to see him as a villain, which is interesting. And again, like in a Western kind of dandyish almost garb, um, which is just fantastic. Like you just you don't really see him. You're not you're not sure you'll ever see him do anything quite like this again. So yeah. Spoiler with the heel turn. Well, I I don't know if it was a turn. Like I think he was always. Well, no, because I'm actually going to get into that. Okay, go on. Um, but we're going to set up that oh, that Ethan McKendrick is not only out to kill Emmett. He has, we, we find out Malcolm gets to his family's farm and it's been burned to the ground. Right. His mother died of an illness. Of his dad has been hiding out because McKendrick has stolen his land. Of course. Yep. Cobb is in, and the, and the sheriff's department is in McKendrick's pocket. So they can't go to the law. And, um, Payton is now working for Cobb because this was his, basically his dream come true to work in a saloon as, right. as a gambling man. Exactly. Go legit. And yeah. So this brings conflict into all, but like Malcolm is running basically his own battle. Cause his father, after he gives the explanation of what's happened and how he's been burned out and living in the Hills, he's killed the next morning by McKendrick's men Right. Which lesson never leave your rifle out of arm's reach. Sure. And never trust a guy wearing an eye patch. Oh god no. Even if he's Nick Fury. Yes. Or uh or uh, Mr. Fish Odor from um Bob's Burgers voiced by Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. So Basically, these 
I really want people to, so I don't want to spoil much else, but Peyton finds himself caught in the middle. Brian Dennehy even comes to him at one point. Just again, it shows you what Brian Dennehy's character is. He comes to Peyton and says, look, this is going to be some trouble. These friends of yours that you came into town with, um, they're trouble and I have to deal with it. And I don't want you getting in the middle. And Payton's kind of, he's like, well, what do you want me to do? And, he, and, and then he's like, that's exactly it. I don't want you to do anything. Right. You don't have to take my side. Just don't take their side. And you can tell Payton's a little hesitant, but he says, you know, I am a big believer in doing nothing. So I guess, you know, I'm going to just, yeah, I guess, you know, you, you just don't worry about me. I'll stay out of the way. So it's set up that, yeah, uh, the the sheriff and McKendrick and his men are going to kill Emmett, Jake, and Malachi. There's a scene, though, where before most of this happens, again, it's a great scene between Peyton and Stella. It shows that there's this, this again, there's a chemistry between them. Yeah. Where they're out back and, you know, they're like, she's putting water in the whiskey bottle. And he, she, he's like, is, is that fair? She goes, I'm saving lives here. This will blind you. <laughs> and uh, somebody comes running in and is and, and says, you, you better get out here. And Peyton runs out and Tyree and, and Jake are just about to kill each other over a girl. Yep. The girl is Phoebe, played by Amanda Wiss, who... Our audience will recognize as Freddy Krueger's first victim in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Right on. She's, you know, well, she's... Probably same year. Um, year after. Year after, okay. She's a saloon girl. So it's her job to make, you know, but... Right, yeah. Tyree has claimed her for himself. Peyton comes out, what's the problem here? And Jake says, all I did was kiss the girl. And Peyton's like, yeah, it sounds like the story you told him, Turley. Yeah. And now Tyree is a deputy, and two other deputies step in behind Jake. And Peyton takes Tyree's gun from his holster and holds it on Tyree and says, Jake, just get out of here. Tyree is shaking with fury. Right. Like he could, Jake, his eyes could just shoot lasers. Like that stare could probably kill someone if, if he concentrated hard enough. Jake says, what's the matter, Peyton? Don't you think I could have taken those two behind me? Yes. And he walks out, kind of pointing at the other two deputies, like, bang, I'd have killed the two of you. And he goes out, and Tyree is like, ah, Peyton, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna kill you. And Peyton gives him the gun back and says, "Well, I should have." He says, "I should have killed you when we had the, when I had the chance." Right. Peyton gives him the gun back, and he puts that gun up under Peyton's chin and is like ready to pull the tr- trigger when Stella's like, "No, don't! You know, I just lost a partner. You kill him, I'll never find anybody to work with me." And that's when Tyree says, "You better start looking." <laughs> yeah it's a and, great line from both of them because she's probably right <laughs> well and he doesn't kill Peyton but yeah. he leaves in fury but during this conversation you see Slick is reaching for a knife in his boot but you don't know whose side he's going to take you think it looks like he's going to take Peyton's side 
he technically works for Peyton. Right. I wasn't exactly. Yeah. Um, that, that scene in particular, you're not really sure who he's about to throw down with. Um, I got, I was under the impression that if Peyton won, he was going to kill Peyton, but. We I'm... also, we also need to mention that Ray Malachi's sister is another saloon girl and mm-hmm. she's hooking up with slick. Yes. Much to Malachi's disapproval. So, we've got McKendrick and his men against Emmett and Jake. Yes. Yeah, let's break it down. Malachi is also against the McKendrick for stealing his, killing his family and killing his dad and stealing his land. Right. He's also against Slick because Slick is shacking up with his, is is taking advantage of his sister. Although his sister doesn't really seem to have a problem with it. She seems like she's got a thing for Slick too. But she seems to like him as well. She seems to like him enough, yeah. Like Um, we don't know Slick as a maniac. We just know that he's not a good guy. Brian Dennehy, who really doesn't care one way or another, but it's he's earned like McKendrick tells him you're going to earn your pay. He's obviously in McKendrick's pocket. So he himself is going to get involved, like we said, with with taking care of Emmett, Jake and Malachi. And as we said, he's told Payton to stay out of the way. Right. And Payton, knowing knowing what uh, he'd be up against anyway, is like, that's just as well. Well, like he says, you know, um, he, go, he goes, uh, if, if you're going to get up against Emmett, the last place I want to be is between in between you. Right. Things reach a boiling point. Again, I don't want to get into too many specifics. So I want people to see this movie. Yeah, we should just do like a spoiler warning at the beginning, like just edit in a spoiler warning at the beginning of the episode. It's probably warranted. Well, now I'm just going to say things reach a boiling point. And during this boiling point, I just want to point out this fantastic scene of Brian Dennehy walking away from a fire where it's all, it's almost like the original cool guy walks away from an explosion scene. Right, right. Where he goes, Peyton has obviously had enough and he's going to get involved. And Dennehy's like, we talked about this. And Peyton's like, no, we didn't talk about this. We did not talk about what just happened and that's when then he says well i guess uh now i gotta threaten stella and that has to put that's what put again pain is like no i can't let anything happen to stella he goes on the sidelines There's really even two climaxes to this movie, like two. Well, I mean, in, in a way, there's several climaxes because everybody well, sort of gets their story tied up. They right. get there and everybody matches off against their own specific right. bad guys. Right. It works out. Yeah. So, again, I'm going to say if you've decided at this point you don't want to watch the movie, you can continue listening because spoilers are coming now. Right. Otherwise, pause it here, watch the movie, come back and listen to the rest of this. But from here, there'd be spoilers. McKendrick and his men kidnap Jake and Augie. Yes. Again, I'm going to try to limit 
exactly how much goes on. And um, there's even the scene, uh, we forgot the scene because, again, there's just a count off the tropes. I already took my drink. Um, where the boy's like, you know, running after Jake and he's kind of thinks Jake's all cool and he wants to be just like Jake. Like, we have to have that as well. A grown man can't have a little boy following him around everywhere. Who's the grown man? Which is a fair point. <laughs> it's a fair point. That, but yeah, there's uh, even there's even that. There's even the whole like, ah, you know. Denick, he has a great scene when they're beating the heck out of one of the heroes, and he says, "Now we're going to give you a fair trial, followed by a first class hanging." Which look at the dialogue in this movie. The lines in this movie are great. There's a lot of really quotable lines in this movie. By the t- by the time of the fourth, by the time the the final act is getting ready to play out, two of our heroes have been severely beaten. One has been threatened into staying on the sidelines, and another may have been killed. Right, we don't know. May have died falling off his horse during. Right, we don't know where Jake is. Yeah. There's a raid on the McKendricks ranch, which brings us another Western trope: a stampede. Yep. Um. Yep. Fantastic shootout, action sequence, rescue, escape. Our four heroes surprised Jake didn't die falling off his horse. Yeah. Now ride back to town for the final confrontation. And here, each of our four heroes gets their own conclusion. And they're all very satisfying. Yes. We get what would be a, a modern-day car chase. It's a horse chase around the town. Yes. We get... Um. Jake taking on Tyree and another deputy. Mal has his his final confrontation with Slick. Yep. And the finale of the movie, the grand finale, is an old-fashioned quick-draw gun duel between Peyton and Cobb. And... It's all, I mean, the way we've talked about the movie, I think you can figure out how it, you know, it's going to have the the good traditional Western ending, but it's all just so enjoyable and so satisfying. And, um, and I've left, we've left a lot of plot points out because I want to see, yeah, there's so much stuff happening in this movie. It's a reasonably, I mean, it's not long because it doesn't feel like it's just over two hours, but it doesn't feel long at any point. It's extremely well paced for a Western. Like most, most Westerns will have, you know, fairly dragging points and usually significant amounts of ones, lots of, you know, usually lots of like sweeping um, uh, um, um, scenes and things like that. And this, this movie really just keeps it going because it packs a lot. Like we just yeah. went through a hundred some, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tropes, <laughs> you know, uh, to go through. People- People listening to us right now might think, well, I don't know. It seems kind of long. This episode has been over an hour now. Right, right. Uh, it, it just checks so many boxes. One of the things I do want to talk about, too, is that we mentioned Patricia Arquette as Hannah, the widow of the homesteaders. I am betting a lot was cut out involving her story with Kevin Klein's Payton and Scott Glenn's Emmett because there's apparently a love triangle there. That is barely exploited. Exploited. Right. It's almost like, wait, there's a love. It's obvious Kevin Klein is attracted to her, and it's obvious that he's kind of pursuing her. But there's a there's a scene later where he's like, 
yeah, she's a good woman and says to Scott Glenn, but I'm not going to get in the way if you want to court her. And you're like, wait, Scott Glenn was interested in her. We know yeah. she said he was, pre- he said she was pretty, but he's, he, and then later when they go to the, 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 the homestead, he and Emmett go for a party and he's like saying, well, I came out to say goodbye. You're like, why? Right. There obviously was something more supposed to be there. I don't know if it was just cut from the script for time and pacing, but I, I really think there was supposed to be more to that story. Oh yeah, because um, it doesn't. I, I think you're right because that that did seem out of nowhere. Yeah, it doesn't seem developed or earned. No, but we get another great get another great scene during this party as McKendrick's men because they're also against the homesteaders. Yes, lead a raiding party and there's another shootout. Yes. And here, Kevin Costner steals a little bit of Steve McQueen from The Magnificent Seven. When he jumps on that horse as it's galloping to chase off the... That's that's almost a, a exact recreation of a scene Steve McQueen does as he's chasing the bandits out of town in The Magnificent Seven. Oh, right on. I mean, obviously, I mean, I've seen Magnificent Seven multiple times, but I don't think I, I would have noticed that because I, I haven't seen it certainly as often as you or studied it as closely. Uh, that's kind of cool. I imagine now, it's on purpose. I want to say another thing because Scott Glenn and Kevin Costner are playing brothers in this movie. And Scott Glenn has gone on record and said he had a great time working with Kevin Costner. Even started to even teased him a little bit, calling a movie star every time, which, you know, is again one of those hindsight stories like, yeah. Kevin Costner definitely became a movie star. Right. Right. He's no, he's uh, he's everybody is so awesome in this movie. Um, and it's cause, just because you get to see him in ways you don't necessarily recognize. I mean, well, at least again, uh, you know, Kevin Costner and um, and Jeff Goldblum for sure. But it's it's such an excellent ensemble cast. Like no cast member is wasted. Everybody gets their time. Everybody gets due time. Um, gets time to develop and 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 come you know wrap up their story. It's such a it's such a really well done movie. It works as an adventure movie. It works as an action movie. It works as a western. It works as an ensemble. It's it's an excellent movie. The simplest one word is fun. Yeah, this is a fun movie. A hundred percent. You're sitting there and you're rooting all the way, and you know, like you get the snappy dialogue and the banter between the characters that. You know, we've kind of ruined by even, but, and everybody in this movie is, like I said, I picked, uh, um, uh, James Gammon, James Gammon as my whistle for his very brief role as Dawson, but he, kills it's a it. damn good role. Yeah. He it's, he's got great it. lines. It's, it's an excellently written movie. The, the, Brian the, James. The, the dialogue is fantastic here. Kills it. Yep. Everybody nails their role. It's such, it's, it's so good. It is so good. It could it could have been yeah you know it could have been a series. Um, they even say or uh, what's uh, Kevin Costner Jake rather at the very end of the movie the last word of the movie the line of the movie is we'll be back we'll be back and I really wish they had come back yeah yeah because uh, you know spoiler again everybody survives which is kind of cool like you get the feel good ending you get everything you wanted again if you want to accuse the movie of being too tropey and thus trash like I, I guess I kind of but get it but it's perfect was... trope like they 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 nail every piece of it and I... do it perfectly fully believe that's what the movie set out to be. I fully believe Lawrence Kasdan said to himself, I want to do an old school Hollywood Western where the good guys take on the bad guys and the good guys win. Yeah. I mean, when you figure it's what Raiders of the Lost Ark was supposed to be, hats. it kind of fits. You know, yeah. And, and 
it's just all around fun. I mean, there's plenty of action. When there's not action, there's great dialogue and character development. And there's, there's like, we, we talked about the chemistry between Kevin Klein and um, Linda Hunt. Yep. But there's chemistry between everybody. Yep. It, it feels... It there's does... chemistry between the girl who plays, the woman who plays Ray and Jeff Goldblum the Slick. Although yes. I think Jeff Goldblum managed to have chemistry with everybody. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum is another. Jeff Goldblum is, is is just one of my absolute favorites. Totally, like he probably I, should have been the Whitbizzle Award winner. It could just as well could have been, but yeah. I I, I, I think I'm too much of a star, of, I guess. Yes, I can't think of anything I've ever seen Jeff Goldblum in. I think he was great and absolutely captivating. In oh, he's yeah, he's good in everything he's in. Um, this is such, yeah, this is such a really fun movie. Um, I, 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 would you call it like a, um, as, as, as far as this type of movie goes, Western or otherwise, it's kind of a, would you say it's kind of a throwback to an earlier type of Western, not, not the Westerns that would certainly come later. Cause it's, I mean, it's not like it's goofy or no, anything, it's exactly... but it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's an adventure. It's, it's, it's got humor in it, but it's not like, it never turns like super bleak or super dark. No, it's like exactly... dark things happen, but it's never super dark. And I would say it's kind of a, because even some of the old Hollywood westerns would have kind of a dark edge to it, but yeah. no, this is this is meant to be almost family adventure fair, and by family I mean you know because I don't think little kids would be very interested in, but right. you know twelve and up. Sure, this know, would be the movie that Mike and Carol and Bobby would be watching. Yes, with the you know, with the kids around the yeah. Yes, this is a Brady Bunch style adventure yeah, movie. Yeah, there's nothing in here. I mean, it's it's there's a lot of gunfire and killing, but it's not particularly violent. No, it's not you a know, very mean spirited movie. Yeah, it's not mean spirited. It's not. It's not. You know, people get shot and killed, but it's not gruesome. Yeah. Gruesome, bloody, and uh, although McKendrick gets kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. He had it coming. He did. He did. And that was kind of a cool, it's kind of a cool scene though. But, and, and again, it's really is, you know, it's the good guys versus the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh now this was a, this was a good movie. I'm, I'm, I'm totally glad we did it. It, it. it comes with my highest possible recommendation. Sure. Same for me, for real. Like, um, I, I mean, for me, I suppose if you're still going to pick like, Again, I watched so few Westerns, I could probably name them all, and it's going to be less than 10 or so that I can, you know, the rest of me, you know, maybe I've seen and just kind of forgotten, but there's a few that rotate. And I guess for me, number one, if I'm picking one, it's probably still Tombstone, but damn, this movie's really close. Yeah, um, and, and I love Tombstone, but I think this is um, more fun than Tombstone. Totally. No, it's de it's definitely more. It's definitely yeah, Less, exactly. Tombstone's got a bit of an edge. Higher, right? Exactly. It's this is a much more um, higher spirited movie. I would say it matches pretty tonally well with the Young Guns. So if you like the Young Guns, sure. you should enjoy this movie as well. Totally. And it's another ensemble. Like and I do Young so. Guns. Yeah. No highest possible recommendation. Um. I mean, other movies, if, if you really want to hear my other recommendations, go back and listen to um, my favorite Western favorites that I did a, a few weeks ago. Give that a listen if you want more recommendations. Um, Todd, do you got anything to recommend? Um, 
I mean, nothing more than nothing other than you would have recommended in there anyway. I mean, for me, I'm going to recommend the obvious, uh, which would just be kind of other ensemble westerns. Um, so the obvious ones, you know, your Magnificent Seven, Young Guns, and so on, uh, Tombstone. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm hardly a I'm hardly a source for it. Um, but uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I just I, I just I you know this is a new this is a, a sort of new discovery for me. Um, just how much I truly enjoyed this movie throughout. It's it's um, it's it's great. Um, it's it, again, it's a direct result of this podcast, and in a way, a direct result of that episode. Although, again, I I, I knew of the movie because you had watched it so much, but I never. It it just kind of fell, you know. I, I never really got around to seeing it. I got around to paying all that close attention to it until now, and I'm totally glad I did. I, I saw Young Guns like before, you know, even though it came out years later. I think Young Guns was around the first western I saw. Although, actually, technically, it might have even been this, and I just forgot. But. Um, uh, like I just I never noticed it until now, and, I, and I'm glad I did. I think you bought Young Guns on DVD before even I even got around to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I love that movie. Um, and uh, this one, this one is 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 right there. Uh, when I'm thinking, you know, in the mood for a western again, or even just a just a fun movie with a with a hell of a cast and some really great dialogue. I, I mean, mean, another great move, another great western with great dialogue is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh hell yeah! I'm glad Does I finally it- saw that too. Doesn't quite have the same ending for our protagonist, <laughs> no. but you know, no, no, not really. Um, but that's yeah, that's another. That's a really another. That's, a, that's in, another really good choice. In some ways, because as we mentioned, Kasdan, you know, contributed to the script for Empire Strikes Back mm-hmm. and Jedi, didn't he? Probably. I, I should have really done a refresher course on Kasdan, but. Um, and I think he did some of the I newer would ones too. Like almost um, compare this to a Star Wars in the type of entertainment it provides. Definitely, if no, that's a fair can, comparison. Yeah. If you, if you, once you get past you, that, it's a western. Because I think right. for a lot of people, that that is a problem. It's but kind of you, is for me. I won't lie. If you if you enjoy watching Star Wars with your family, I think you'd enjoy watching this with, with your, your your kids too. Yeah, it's it's a good of a gateway western as any, and one of the maybe one of the best gateway westerns, maybe even the best gateway western. But it's a it's a it's a damn good movie. Um, and I mean, I guess don't take our word for it. The reviews are very good. Um, the cast speaks for itself. The director and writer speak for themselves. I mean, I was joking earlier when I was talking about um, you know it being the best cast in film. It very well could be, honestly. Um, it might be my favorite cast in film, even though I love writers. But uh, certainly for writing and directing, yeah, hell yeah. Um, it's it's interesting though in that it's like I said I think it's kind of a forgotten movie maybe not for Western fans but it should be more of a mainstream it, it should be remembered better in the in the mainstream well, I'm, I'm kind of surprised Western, it's not Western movies just haven't been mainstream for a while granted that's fair um, yeah I guess you see more horror in the mainstream um, than than uh, than you did before and and Westerns have just fallen that far out of favor like you still get you still get a few like you get your 310 to Yuma's you get your True Grit remakes you get your Magnificent Seven remakes but that almost and, seems like a fan service because they know there are Westerns yes. out there and there just aren't Westerns being made and, and I don't when, I don't want to pigeonhole this into that kind of corner this is just a damn good movie in its own right period exactly yeah and and just to, to go back um, with with Kevin Costner, my personal favorite Kevin Costner movie that I'm just going to throw out there as a recommendation, Field of Dreams. Yeah, Love Field of Dreams movie. is fun. Yep, and that's a cool movie. But yeah, it seems like even when a western does well, people tend to you know like kind of forget about it. 
Well, because again, and this, and 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 I, I include myself um, in in this in this category, and and you know, I try to break out of it every so often, and did with Silverado. But again, if you hadn't highly recommended it so much, um, and I knew for sure how much you liked it, I'm probably not seeking it out on my own. Um, I've only seeked out really one western on my own, and that was the Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and that I actually really enjoyed it. Um, it, yeah, like I, I just think like the once it's a Western, you've immediately lost a certain percentage of audience because they're just not interested. Even though they might like action movies, they might like war movies, they might like ensemble movies, all of which all of these things I like a lot. Um, they just don't see it. You know, maybe they just think like uh, John Wayne. They think just like howling Indians and, and that sort of thing and don't really yeah. get much more thought. You know, unfortunately, Westerns have a reputation for being a certain type of film. And mm-hmm. for the most part, that's kind of fair. But there are Westerns, again, like this one, like Young Guns, like Tombstone, that really should deserve to have a wider audience. Absolutely, yeah. They should stand on their own as movies. Not just Westerns. They should just stand on their own as a, as exactly. a damn movie, or at least an adventure movie. So, um, yeah, definitely, if you just like adventure like, movies, this is a hell of a movie. Like with Star Wars, a lot of people are like, well, I don't like sci-fi. Well, you right. probably still like Star Wars. But you'd pr- exactly, you'd probably still like Star Wars. I, yeah, there you go. All right, I think we've gone on long enough about this one. Sure. So I guess all that's left to do is attach it to the Magnificent Seven. Shouldn't be too hard, right? Yeah, it's real easy because, well, do you have a, you want to go? I know, go ahead. Jeff Goldblum was in Death Wish as one of the thugs, as one of the thugs that attacks Charles Bronson's family. Not going to repeat his line. (laughs) So... (laughs) But you'll know him when you see him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. He's still recognizable as Jeff Goldblum. Sure. So he was in that. Of and you'll, with, you'll immediately know why I'm not going to repeat his line. <laughs> with with Charles Bronson. Um, and Charles Bronson was in The Magnificent Seven. But also, you know who else plays a thug blown away by Charles Bronson in Death Wish? I, uh, I do not. Denzel Washington, the star of the 2016 version of the Magnificent Seven. Oh no, kidding! Fantastic. I probably knew that and just totally forgot. But that's kind of cool. You get to yeah, you get to Lincoln. <laughs> Unfortunately, the entire role is just to him to get shot by. Oh, I gotcha. Bronson, pretty so, much. So it's even less than Joe, Jeff Goldblum who gets. A line. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. Uh, glad you stuck with us this long. And if, if you, you haven't, yeah. well, you're not listening to me say this. So right. thank you for those who stuck it out. Check out this movie, and we hope to have you back next time. Thank you, everyone.